Welcome back to the Homestyle MMA Podcast. Sean Van Buren here for episode 18. Shout out to all the listeners or homies checking this out right now. I appreciate you. Today we are talking about UFC Fight Night Sandhagen versus Song. Before we dive into that, it's time for the rapid recap of the wild week that was UFC 279. Strange night for a strange card. I think we ultimately ended up with a better pay-per-view after all of the changes, but there were a lot of underdog winners and some very questionable judges' scorecards. We'll quickly run through the fights from last weekend and highlight just a few surprising or exceptional fights. Let's dive into that rapid recap. Darian Weeks versus Johan Lainez was a robbery in my opinion. We're coming in hot with the takes. Weeks controlled the middle of the cage for the whole fight, and he was the more active fighter statistically, with striking, with cage control, with aggression. All around, I thought this was a terrible split decision to give to Johan Lanessi, and it cost us our first money line bet as well. Weeks used more of a mixed martial arts approach in this fight, while Lanessi only relied on his striking, and he didn't put out enough volume to earn this win, in my opinion. The judges messed this up. Weeks basically doubled Lainess every round with his striking output, and he used some wrestling as well. Again, I think this was a robbery. I felt bad for Darian Weeks, and I felt bad that we were starting off with an L. Melissa Martinez versus Ellis Reed. Props to Ellis Reed in this one. She had a great fight against someone who was supposed to beat her. This was a fun fight as well. These women went right at each other. They kept the action going for all three rounds. Ellis Reed won round one with her striking and won round three with her wrestling. Martinez made the mistake of engaging in the clinch in round three, and Ellis Reed used it to get multiple takedowns, and we were down early with our bets. Chad and Helger versus Alatankeli. I said last week that Alatankeli had to wrestle to get a win in this one, and boy was I wrong. He had the striking advantage, and he looked great on the feet. Alatankeli stunned Chad and Helger multiple times in this fight with some powerful right-hand bombs, it looked like two big shots landed in round one that busted up Chad and got him bleeding early. Chad and Helliger did better in round two, but I still think Alatang Helly was the cleaner fighter and landed the more damage. Then in round three, Alatang Helly finally decided to use his wrestling, and by then I knew that I was buried on my bet. He had a nice leg sweep takedown, landed some strong ground and pound, and ultimately Alatang Helly got a clean sweep 30-27 decision victory. To end the early prelims, we had Norma Dumont versus Danielle Wolf. The result in this fight was ultimately what I think most people expected, but the game plan by Dumont was surprising to start the fight. Dumont had a tremendous amount of confidence and composure in this fight, and she was comfortable enough to stand and strike with the former pro boxer Danielle Wolf for all of round one. Surprisingly, Dumont outboxed her and won that round. She controlled the distance. She also used great leg kicks, and then she started to use her wrestling in round two, which was a large advantage for her. Dumont even dropped Wolf in round two with a straight right hand, and then again with the same shot with 10 seconds left in that round, showing that Dumont had the striking advantage as well, and there was no place this fight could go for Wolf to escape. Norma Dumont started round three with an easy single leg takedown and slam. After several minutes, Dumont worked her way into mount, got the decision victory. We were lucky that Daniel Wolf was pretty good at surviving on the ground. I thought she was better than I expected on the ground, which is what we needed because I thought Norma Dumont was going to finish the fight in the third. Norma Dumont showed that she can strike with the best boxers and has all of the control on the ground to be a true contender. That led us to our prelims, Jake Collier versus Chris Barnett, and boy did the big fellas get the crowd going. Barnett shockingly missed weight as a heavyweight, which is always wild. That's just a real big boy. Only the second heavyweight ever to miss weight in the UFC. Both heavyweights started throwing combos right away, which got the crowd on their feet. Collier knocked down Barnett in 30 seconds, and they stood and just threw bombs. It was a super fast start to the fight. Super heavy start as well, because Barnett's left eye was swollen entirely closed within a minute and a half into this fight. Barnett landed some big bombs as well, though, and it was a true heavyweight fight in round one. Collier got a takedown late in round one, got mount, and Chris Barnett went belly down. Collier was working ground and pound, rear naked chokes, but I have to tell you guys, Chris Barnett never gave up. Barnett survived round one, 
The cage side doctor came in and checked on Barnett between rounds and he somehow passed the vision test. One thing I'll say that was really odd to me about the vision test is I've never seen a doctor help lift a fighter's eye open before giving the vision test. I thought the point of the vision test was to see if the current state of the eye allowed for there to be vision or not. But hey, we'll take it and certainly Chris Barnett will take it because he came out in round two swinging. These heavyweights kept slinging bombs. It was a wild fight. Chris Barnett ended up on top after stuffing a takedown and quickly got into mount. That's a big boy in top position, and he gave his all to try to win this fight with ground and pound. Chris Barnett was a machine just throwing punches constantly and keeping Jake Collier trapped on the ground. It was a steady rhythm, steady flow of punches coming down on Collier, and the ref eventually stopped the fight after about a minute of continuous ground and pound in round two. It was a great showing of Chris Barnett's stamina as well, because he just non-stop, steady pace, kept throwing strikes until the ref just had to stop it. What a comeback victory. This fight was unbelievable. Barnett also cut an incredible promo with the fans in his post-fight interview with Joe Rogan. He had the crowd chanting his name. It was just great. A must-see fight if you missed it. Dennis Tiululin versus Jamie Pickett. I didn't like this fight at all from a betting standpoint last week, so of course, the bet I took missed on this fight entirely. Is what it is, that'll happen when you don't love a fight, you take a shot in the dark, it doesn't always hit for you. I thought Jamie Pickett could win, but we went fight to go the distance. Turns out, didn't matter, they both missed anyways. Tiu Liulin got the finish with 10 seconds left in round 2. Jamie Pickett had the speed and movement advantage early in this one, but he really had no power behind his shots. Dennis kept constant pressure forward and had all of the power in that cage. Dennis Tiuliulin, never afraid of anything that Pickett was throwing his way, not worried about being finished, so he went ahead and poured it on to get the TKO. After losing a point in round two due to a groin strike, Dennis Tiuliulin put his foot down on the pedal and essentially just ran after Jamie Pickett around the cage, chasing the finish, which he would, with some excellent knees and elbow strikes, eventually find via ground-and-pound finish against the cage. Jilton Almeida versus Anton Turkaj. Almeida is the truth, guys. He was a huge favorite. He got a takedown within 20 seconds, started working to mount immediately, then into the back. He was incredibly efficient right away in this fight, and when Turkaj got up one time, Almeida picked him up and threw him back down. He worked very strategically and stuck to Anton's back like glue. Almeida controlled him for about three minutes, postured up and mount, and rained down heavy ground and pound strikes, which was all a setup. Almeida was so crafty with his setups. It forced Anton Turkaj to turn his back to protect himself, and Almeida very sneakily grabbed the rear naked choke submission. Jailton Almeida fought strategically with 100% control. It was incredibly impressive, and his hype is extremely real. What was so amazing in this fight is that Anton Turkaj actually defended very well for almost the whole round, but Almeida got that very sneaky setup for the rear naked choke by punching with his left hand and then sneaking his right arm around the neck from the other side while Anton was dealing with the punches coming from his left. Excellent finishing sequence, and Jilton Almeida is coming for the heavyweight and light heavyweight divisions. Look out to both of you. Hakeem Dawadu versus Julian Arosa. This fight started off very slow because I think Arosa was a little bit concerned with the striking that could come his way from Dawadu. And Dawadu was fighting fairly recklessly with his striking to start this fight. He had a leg kick that was caught and he was thrown back. Julian Arosa slipped a hook that Dawadu off balanced, fell to the ground from. He was putting everything he had into every strike, but at the cost of balance on his feet. During an exchange between the fighters, Julian Arosa actually dropped Dawadu with a right cross momentarily. Arosa was throwing very nice uppercuts. He had the advantage on the feet in round one, which really surprised me. And then late in round one, Julian Arosa stunned Dawadu for a second time with a straight right hand. Dawadu bounced back well to start round two, and it was looking like Arosa lit a fire in his gut. Dawadu was striking well. But Julian Arosa eventually got the back while standing like a backpack, got Dawadu to fall backwards onto the mats, worked great ground and pound from the back, but unfortunately could not finish the fight before the round ended. Arosa was up 2018 on my card, but I was worried 
that the finish would potentially not come when Arosa couldn't get it on the feet in round one or on the ground in round two. I thought Arosa had a chance to finish the fight in both rounds, and when it didn't happen, I had a cause for concern. Unfortunately for our bet, we saw the scorecards for a well-earned Julian Arosa decision win. Now into the pay-per-view main card fights, we had Johnny Walker versus Ian Kutalaba. Kutalaba caught a leg kick from Walker and took him down into top position. This is where I was worried for Johnny Walker the most going into this fight. I thought Kutalaba had a significant wrestling advantage, and I was concerned with Walker that if he ended up on the ground, he would be stuck there. That's also very strategically smart for Ian Kutalaba. It's an easy way to neutralize the length advantage that Johnny Walker had. Walker was able to change the position and ended up in top control as Kutalaba tried to go from top position to half mount. So Walker was very smart, waited patiently, and when he saw Kutalaba trying to change positions, he went for a chance to reverse it as well, and they eventually got to the feet. Johnny Walker landed a nice slam takedown and took the back of Kutalaba. This caught me way off guard. I thought it was excellent showing from Johnny Walker because he then went to work on the neck of Jan Kutalaba to try to get the rear naked choke. I thought he had incredible patience here. I needed a finish to happen on the ground in the first because I knew that they wouldn't get back to the feet until round two. At that point in the round, there was only so much time left, and our under one and a half rounds bet was looking bad. But Johnny Walker, being patient, working very hard on the ground, with 30 seconds left in the first, he cashed our ticket. Got the rear naked choke very deep under the chin of Ian Kutalaba, and he squeezed with all of his power. Kutalaba was almost gonna try to grind it out to survive the round, but I think he was just seconds away from going to sleep when he finally tapped out. Very impressive win for Johnny Walker. I did not expect Walker to win this fight by submission at all, so shout out to him for really taking the fight to Ian Kutalaba. Irene Aldana versus Macy Chiazan. The announcers identified this right away, but Macy Chiazon looked like the much larger fighter on fight night. This made me very happy, obviously, as someone who was backing Chiazon because I knew she'd want to wrestle and I knew that being the larger fighter would help her in top position. Irene Aldana landed a clean right hand with about a minute and a half left in the first round, which was the most significant event or strike to happen in that round. She also had more volume, so I gave her round one. Chazon shot for a takedown from way too far away, and Aldana ended up in some deep armbar positions and top position. She then went to rain down, ground and pound, easy 10-9 for Aldana in round one, maybe even a 10-8. I thought she truly dominated that entire round. On my card, I think it's definitely a 10-8. I wanted Macy Chazon to wrestle, but she needed to set up those attempts. When she went in with a shot from way too deep, Irene Aldana made her pay. Luckily, her coaches got her fired up and Macy Chiazon came out guns blazing in round two and took the fight to Aldana. She finally used her striking to work into a takedown attempt and got top position. Aldana was pretty good on the ground in this one and went for a leg lock. I was glad to see that she'd been working on her ground game. Chiazon, though, is just very skilled on the ground and she ended up after some wild wrestling exchanges on the back of Aldana where she was working for either a submission or ground and pound finish. Chazon brought the war in round two, and she did a lot of damage as well. 10-9 Chazon is what the judges gave her, but for me, I thought that was maybe even a 10-8 for Chazon as well. Watching it live, I gave her the 10-8 on my scorecard, and this may have been the first time that I had back-to-back 10-8s, but for different fighters in each round. So I had an 18-18 headed into the third, and the third round was intense, as both women landed some clean shots in the first two minutes, piecing each other up on the feet, and then Macy Chazon got a takedown in round three. Aldana, with that takedown, did try to throw up a quick triangle but didn't get it. I was nervous for about a second, and Chazon was postured up, standing while Donna was on the ground. Looked like she was ready to jump back in to land some bombs. And out of nowhere, Irene Aldana landed a clean, upkick, heel-strike body shot, as clean as you could possibly have to deliver Macy Chazon, that absolutely crumpled her and Chiazon could not continue. That sucked for us, <laughs> because I thought we were about to cash the Macy Chiazon as a big underdog ticket, and out of the clouds, Irene Aldana landed a beautiful leg kick from bottom right to the liver of Chiazon that ended the fight. 
Lee's Young Lang versus Daniel Rodriguez. Shout out to the leech, Lee's Young Lang. He weighed in 10 pounds less than the guy that he was fighting on that night, but accepted the fight to save the card. He is the real gangster in all of this wannabe gangster drama from last week. As expected, this was mostly a kickboxing battle. The leech used more of a true kickboxing balanced attack, while D-Rob is mostly using boxing strikes and low leg kicks. I gave the leech round one with the good body kick work and a little more volume. I thought D-Rod really needed to kick it up a notch. I thought his volume was a little bit low to start this fight. And in round two, he had a great jab and was much more active to start the round. But even still, D-Rod's volume seemed a little low for what he historically outputs. Really tough second round to score, but I think that the Leech may have taken round two as well. So entering the third, I was thinking that the Leech was about to pull off the unthinkable by winning this fight. Everybody wrote him off because this was a harder matchup than his originally scheduled matchup. The Leech had excellent cardio in this one, and he continued to push the pace in round three. D-Rod's jab was phenomenal all fight long, but he needed more activity in my eyes. It felt like the Leech led every exchange. He was just counter-jabbing, and frankly, I am glad the D-Rod decision won our bet, but Li Xiangling deserved to win that fight. Another robbery in my eyes by these judges that gave the split decision to Daniel Rodriguez. And truthfully, I felt terrible for the leech. He took the most risk. He won that fight clearly in my eyes with the first two rounds. And honestly, I respect Daniel Rodriguez. He admitted in the cage with his post-fight interview with Joe Rogan that he didn't think that he'd won the fight. But hey, he got his hand raised and he did cash us that bet slip. Kevin Holland versus Kamzat Shemaev. Jeez, this fight, man. I mean... So much to say here. As expected, the UFC fans just rained down boos when Kamzat Shmaev walked out of the octagon. I was booing from my couch joining in. In a weird way, he is to thank, though, for this better pay-per-view. But still, I think what everything he did was just incredibly disrespectful, so still screw you, Kamzat Shmaev. But you know, at the same time, he did get us a better pay-per-view by missing weight by a crazy 8 pounds. The fans showed a lot of love to Kevin Holland in his intro from Bruce Buffer, which I appreciated as well, because I thought Kevin Holland obviously took a much harder fight as well. And when the fight began, Kamza immediately went for a takedown when Kevin Holland reached out his hand to touch gloves. That was incredibly disrespectful, and I thought it was almost the perfect cap to the week, where Kamza did not care and decided to just be a disrespectful human being and be a disrespectful fighter. Kevin Holland is pretty skilled with his jiu-jitsu game, so he was able to scram for a little while to at least got his wits about him. But Kamzat came out like he was shot from a cannon, and you could tell, in my opinion, that he didn't have to cut that much weight this week. You could tell he came in overweight. The start of this fight just pissed me off, because Kamzat showed that he was full of energy. I thought it was a sleazeball move to shoot for a takedown when your opponent extends an arm out, and he's extending his arm out of respect to touch gloves. You don't usually go for a takedown right away, but hey, I guess it worked for Kamzat Shmaev because he got the Darce choke submission in round one. He just kept rolling with Holland in the positions until he was able to lock in the choke. I mean, this sucked. I wanted Kevin Holland to at least get to round three because he saved this card and Kamzat almost killed this card. But Kamzat was full of energy. It seemed like a guy who was able to cut his weight cut short eight pounds. That cut... Clearly, in my opinion, didn't seem all that medical when he was able to recover so quickly. Maybe the cut wasn't as devastating as everyone's making it seem. I don't know, but I just thought it was very odd. He was clearly perfectly fine, in my opinion. It's ridiculous. But that took us to the main event where we had Nate Diaz versus Tony Ferguson. The people's main event. My heart was pounding when this fight began. I was so excited, so pumped to watch these two legendary warriors go at it. Tony was doing a good job with leg kicks in round one. Nate was doing his usual mental antics, downplaying his opponent. He actually checked a leg kick early, and blood was pouring one minute into this fight from Tony Ferguson's leg. Look, we have to be honest here, I love this fight, but the first round made it very clear that this was two fighters at the end of their careers. <laughs> they were a little bit slow. But at least they were even. In hindsight, not, well, not even necessarily hindsight, but Kamzat would have mauled Nate 
in 10 seconds. He mauled Kevin Holland in, I think, under a minute. Probably would have mauled Nate in 10 seconds. This was a better fight for both of these two fighters. I think the leech, after watching what he did to D-Rod, would have killed Tony after watching this main event. These guys, though, they were having fun in there, which made it very fun for the fans. They were smiling, publicly acknowledging when they would land a clean strike. Nate had the most impactful punches in round one, but I think Tony won the first round with his steady flow of low leg kicks. They were both throwing, as is their styles, just wacky combos, but Tony was looking really sharp to start round two. What was interesting and kind of a trend in this fight is that I thought Tony looked good to start every round, but Nate would look good to end every round. So he had some good combos to end round two and another really close round. So through the first two rounds, I said, all right, I'm going to give Nate round two. I didn't really know, but I thought after two rounds, they were both so even. I figured it was probably 1-1 on the judges' scorecards where you could alternate either round going to either guy. To start round three, Tony really beat up the leg of Nate Diaz, and he landed a really heavy leg kick that actually got a response of pain from Nate Diaz that we could all see. Everyone at home could see, and Tony was starting to cook again in round three. Nate Diaz, in round three, I felt like maybe mailed it in a little bit. I think that kick really did hurt him, where he started to do a lot of shenanigans. He was walking around the octagon, talking to people outside the cage, going full-on California gangster in there that we are so familiar with and that we have seen for the past 15 years. He was all entertainer in round three, and at this point, who really knows who's winning, but I felt like Tony was probably up two rounds to one. Again, Nate was doing great work with his hands. Tony was doing great work with his kicks, so again, I gave round three to Tony, but who really knows? It was a very close fight, guys. That's what made this so great for us fans, even though maybe wasn't the most elite visual from these two legendary fighters. Nate rocked Tony with a 1-2 combo in round four that stumbled Tony back, and Nate really started to let the hands go in round four. And at the same time, you could really start to tell that Tony Ferguson had only trained for a three-round fight, right? Because leading up to this week, he was in a three-round fight with the Leech. Now he ended up in a five-round main event. And once that fourth round began, Tony looked real tired to me. He looked even slower than he started the fight. And in the fourth round, Nate let go a constant flurry of strikes that made Tony shoot for a takedown, which his coaches had been calling for all fight long. And it was the perfect ending to Nate Diaz's career as the submission came to fruition. Tony finally listened to his coaches, and it cost him the fight. Nate Diaz caught a guillotine choke on Tony Ferguson's takedown entry and won by fourth round submission. It was deep immediately, and that fight was immediately ended. He now had the most submission wins from the back in UFC history and his 14th professional submission win. Nate finishes his UFC career ninth all-time in significant strikes landed and third all-time in total strikes landed. What a beautiful way to end Nate Diaz's career and what ended up being a pretty great UFC 279 even after all of the madness and the drama. Let's go ahead and review our bets. Taking a look at our bets, we start with the UFC early prelims. We had Darian Weeks versus Johan Lainess. We had Darian Weeks money line minus 132 for a loss, which was an absolute robbery in my opinion. We'll particularly wish we had that one back by the end of the night. Melissa Martinez versus Ellis Reed. We lost Melissa Martinez, money line minus 165. Chad and Helliger versus Alatankheli. We had Chad and Helliger money line plus 145 for a loss. 0-3 to start the night's not where we wanted to be. We ended the UFC early prelims with Norma Dumont versus Danielle Wolf. We won fight to go the distance at minus 186. For the UFC prelims, Jake Collier versus Chris Barnett. I was leaning Jake Collier, but I wanted to give Chris Barnett that chance, and I'm glad I did because we took fight to not go the distance at minus 136 for a win. Dennis Tuliulin versus Jamie Pickett. Hated the fight from a betting standpoint to start with, so we just took fight to go the distance. As we know, that was a loss at minus 125. Jailton Almeida versus Anton Turkalj. Jailton Almeida was our money line bet, but he was a huge favorite, so we took fight under one and a half rounds at minus 175 for a going back for more two-unit bet for the win. Love cashing those going back for more bets. Hakeem Dawadu versus Julian Arosa ended the prelims with fight to not go the distance as a loss. 
the UFC pay-per-view main card, we had Johnny Walker versus Jan Kutalaba. We took under one and a half rounds at minus 130, which cashed with the Johnny Walker submission in round one. Irene Aldana versus Macy Chiazon. We had Chiazon money line plus 150 for a loss. Lee Jiang Lang versus Danny Rodriguez. We did have D-Rod money line minus 148 for the win. Kevin Holland versus Kamzat Chemaev. Again, this is a fight where I thought for sure we would start the third round. We lost that one with the first round submission by Kamzat Chemaev. And we ended the night with Nate Diaz versus Tony Ferguson. Over three and a half rounds was a homestyle gravy bet going back for more bet, which was a win. And we took Nate Diaz money line plus 108 for another win. So that was a fight where we took two bets on one fight, hit them both on three total units betting. So that's obviously one we were happy to win. But losing the Kevin Holland versus Kamzat Shemaev going back for more fight to start round three cost us big time on our bets. We were down two units going seven for seven. That was obviously a three-unit swing by losing that Kamzat fight. The Homestyle Gravy Bets went 5-1 and one for six total Homestyle Gravy Bets, and our Going Back for More Bets went 2-3. for three. This was our first time losing a Going Back for More Bet. Unfortunately, it was a pretty big swing on the night, but hey, can't win them all. It was a wild night of fights, but a terrible night of bets. There were a lot of underdogs getting their hands raised, but we didn't always pick the correct ones, particularly early on in this fight card. I think our bets were as cursed as this card was last week. It's all right, though. We'll look to bounce back next week, and the Homestyle Perfect Plate Parlay kept us happy on a positive note. We wanted to join in on the wild action of last week, so we went with a risky parlay. I told you guys that it would be a risky parlay. We went D-Rod Moneyline, Kevin Holland versus Kamzat Chemaev to not go the distance, and Nate Diaz versus Tony Ferguson over two and a half rounds for a plus 190 win. So we got in on the chaos, and it paid off for us with our parlay. Let's take a look at Verdict and give out some podcast awards. We ended up having an okay night on Verdict. While it was a great night of fights, it was a night to forget from a betting standpoint. Usually that's not going to equate to a good night on Verdict. So we were able to squeak out a bronze medal for being in the top 60% of predictions. And hey, I'll take it after how the night was going. We completely missed on the first two main card fights all around. We didn't get the method, the fighter. We didn't get any of that right. But we had all of our experience points on the last three fights. And those we had the fighters picked correctly, which saved us and earned us the bronze medal for being in the top 60% of predictions. The Homestyle MMA Podcast Awards. We're starting it off with the Smooth Buttery Biscuits UFC Early Prelims Performance of the Night. We're going to go with Norma Dumont for her domination and cruising to a decision victory and possibly a shot at the women's featherweight title next. The mac and cheese UFC prelims performance of the night. This one I was back and forth on, but we're going with Chris Barnett. Look, I like the adversity he faced. His eye was swollen shut. He was beat up in round one, but he battled back to win the fight by TKO himself. Obviously a huge shout out to Jailton Almeida, but I'd like to give performance awards to Maybe unexpected outcomes when I can as well. Guys that had to battle through some adversity. Jilton Almeida was a massive favorite and he won very easily. So look, it was obviously a great performance. But I want to shout out my boy Chris Barnett. The Chicken and Dumplings UFC main card performance of the night. We're going to go to Johnny Walker. He had another come from behind submission victory. I didn't think he stood a chance on the ground. So I was very impressed that he got the submission win. Now obviously guys, shout out to the legend Nate Diaz. He earned his fourth round submission victory, and I would have loved to have given him this award, but I have to be honest with how the fight actually was compared to the Johnny Walker fight with all due respect. Johnny Walker was facing a much more dangerous fighter than Nate Diaz. Shout out to Nate. Got in there, got the job done as an underdog. Love and respect that. But I really was surprised by the Johnny Walker performance, so he is getting the Chicken and Dumplings UFC main card performance of the night. Perfect ending to the career of Nate Diaz in the UFC. His 10th career UFC submission win specifically, and Nate saved our night for the most part by cashing in two late night bets and our home soft perfect plate parlay. That wraps up UFC 279. Let's look ahead to UFC Fight Night San Hagen vs. Song.
The UFC Fight Night Sandhagen versus Song starts us off with the prelims. Nicholas Mota versus Cameron Van Camp. Now, Van Camp is five inches taller. He has a four-inch reach advantage. He was on a four-fight win streak before being knocked out in his UFC debut his last time out. Mota won his Dana White Contender Series win by decision and then got knocked out in his UFC debuts. Both these guys are looking for a win. And unfortunately for Nicholas Mota, I think this is just going to be a tough matchup for him. He's 8-3 by knockout and 0-2 by submission, and Mota wants to strike. He's given up a ton of length to Van Camp, and to make matters worse, Van Camp is very skilled on the ground. At 4-2 by knockout and 9-1 by submission, I think Van Camp will hold his own on the feet, but eventually work himself to the mats, where he's really going to have a significant advantage in this one. Van Camp was striking very well with a strong striker in Andre Fialho in his UFC debut, before getting knocked out in the third round, and I think Van Camp can outstrike Mota on the feet or finish him on the ground with submission. Tony Gravely versus Javid Basharat. Basharat is four inches taller. The 12-0 fighter won his Dana White Contender Series fight and UFC debuts. With 11 finishes split between knockouts and submissions, Javid Basharat is a very well-rounded fighter with high-volume striking and excellent wrestling. Tony Gravely is an MMA veteran. He's got 30 professional fights. He's 4-1 in his last five with a two-fight winning streak. Gravely implores an extremely heavy wrestling attack, and he went 11-for-15 with 11 minutes of control time in his last two wins, totaling four total rounds. So 11 minutes of control in four rounds, 11 takedowns in four rounds. He averages 6.65 takedowns per fight. The issue with Gravely is he uses his wrestling to get decisions or ground-and-pound victories. His submission game leaves a little bit to be desired at 3-5. and five. Basharat, he's got the height he needs to fight behind his jab and keep takedowns to a minimum. I think if Gravely does get him down, I think Basharat could get stuck there because he's going to be willing to play the jiu-jitsu game for a bit. Unfortunately, you're losing points on the judge's scorecard if you stay on bottom for too long. Javed Basharat, if he gets taken down, I think he will have to get a submission to win at that point. This is a tough call in this fight because I think Javed Basharat has the advantage on the feet in the submission game, but I do think that Gravely is just an elite wrestler who can keep you down once he gets you down and he can grind his way to a victory. I think Tony Gravely gets the win here because probably by decision, I think Basharat will be too tough to finish on the ground, but I do think once he gets taken down, he could get stuck there because I don't think in Basharat's shorter MMA career he's quite faced a wrestler as strong as Tony Gravely. Maria Agapova versus Jillian Robertson. Agapova only has a one inch height advantage but five and a half inches in reach. She's coming off of a submission loss and is two and two in the UFC. Ten of her 13 total fights have ended by finish as well, a three and one by knockout and five and one by submission. Jillian Robertson, she's coming off of a loss. She's 1-3 in her last four UFC fights. She doesn't have a ton of momentum coming with her into this fight. Jillian Robertson really relies on her jiu-jitsu to finish fights. That's where she is quite exceptional. Seven of her ten wins have been by submission, but each of her last three losses have been by decision. I think Agapova is really going to want to keep this fight standing, and I think Jillian Robertson needs to get this fight to the mats. I think that might be the only way that Jillian Robertson can win this fight. Agapova does struggle with defensive wrestling. That's Jillian Robertson's path to victory. She needs to go for takedowns. She needs to get this fight to the ground. She needs to work her submission game. Robertson has faced stronger competition in the UFC so far. And I think the winner of this fight will be whoever can impose their will. I think Maria Agapova really has an advantage on the feet with that length advantage. And I think she's a smart fighter. She's a strong kickboxer. I think she will use her jab and length efficiently to keep Jillian Robertson off of her, keep her away, make the takedowns come from a further distance. And I think Maria Agapova will get the win. Trey Ogden versus Daniel Zellhuber. Daniel is two inches taller. He has a five-inch reach advantage. He's 12-0 with seven knockouts and two submissions. Daniel won a decision victory on Dana White Contender Series his last time out. While Trey Ogden is 0-1 in the UFC, styles make fights here. Trey Ogden has no knockout wins or losses, but he is 11-3 by submission. Zell Huber can win this fight on the feet, and Ogden can win on the ground, plain and simple. 
23 of their combined 32 fights ended by finish. Trey Ogden's last four opponents combined for a record of 38-25 and 25 and 32-7 and 7 for Daniel. So a significant difference in competition as of lately. I think Daniel Zellhuber gets the win here. But looking at this fight to not go the distance will also be very interesting because I think Daniel Zolhuber could get a knockout and Trey Ogden could get a submission in this fight. Luma Lukbonmi versus Denise Gomez. These women are similar in size. Luma is coming off of a decision loss, but she is 3-2 in the UFC with every single one of those fights going to a decision. Denise Gomez is making her UFC debut after a unanimous decision victory on Dana White's Contender Series. She's 6-1 as a pro with her only loss coming in her professional debut, so she is on a six-fight win streak. And based on her topology profile, Denise Gomez appears to be a kickboxer, boxing-style fighter. She's 4-1 by knockout, 0-0 by submission, but she also competed recently in a grappling match in May, so maybe she does have some wrestling skills as well. This is the risk we face when we have a new fighter coming in. We might not know that much about him just yet. In Denise Gomez's Dana White Contender Series appearance, she did not go for any takedowns, but she doubled the striking volume of her opponent. She also only gave up one out of four takedown attempts with one and a half minutes of control, so she got out of the unfortunate position very quickly. That will be important when fighting Loma because she does go for takedowns. In her last win, she went four for eight on takedown attempts. Outside of the UFC, Denise Gomez's opponents are a combined 38-16-1, which is pretty strong. I think that she will win her UFC debut here with another potential decision. Trevin Giles versus Luis Koch. Giles is three inches taller and has the same advantage in reach. Trevin Giles has lost both of his last two fights by knockout. He's a hard-hitting striker who can mix in some submission attempts as well. He has been susceptible in the past of some low-output striking fights where he's kind of been looking for that one big strike. So for his sake, I hope he keeps the pressure going on this one and doesn't just look for the knockout. He lets it come naturally if that's what he's going for. For Koch, he earned a spot in the UFC with a knockout on Dana White's Contender Series, but lost his UFC debut by knockout after that. Koch is 7-1, 5-1 by knockout, and 2-0 and by submission. Every single one of his fights have ended by finish. They have not gone to the judges' scorecards. In his knockout loss... Koch had a knockdown in that fight as well, so he was very close to finishing that fight himself and earning himself the win. I think he has a ton of power, and I think he can win this fight against Trevin Giles. With 15 of Trevin's 19 total pro fights ending by finish as well, I think another great option here is to look for the fight to not go the distance. That'll take us to Aspen Ladd versus Sarah McMahon. These women are similar in size. I think that this is a great stylistic fight. Aspen Ladd's on a two-fight losing streak and is 1-3 in her last four. McMahon is coming off of a win, and she is 2-2 two two in her last four. This fight will involve striking and wrestling from both women. They are both pretty well-rounded MMA fighters, and I think it's going to be a very close fight. Sarah McMahon does utilize a little bit more of a wrestling-heavy attack. She prefers to use the wrestling, and she'll generally use her striking really just to set up takedowns where she can then control the fight to victory. She's susceptible for submission, so her fights can be boring because she fights cautiously once she gets the takedown and is in top position. She's 4-4 four four by submission, which is not an excellent record for jiu-jitsu, and Aspen Ladd is more of a ground-and-pound wrestler herself, so that's where the submission game might not be a factor. I think Sarah McMahon may struggle, though, if she gets in bottom position if Aspen Ladd uses that offensive wrestling. I do think overall, Sarah McMahon wins this fight with her wrestling. I think that this fight goes the distance, so we'll consider both outcomes with our bets. If Aspen Ladd loses for a third time in a row, I do think the UFC should keep her around for one last shot, because she does put on good fights for the fans. I just think that if she can't stop the wrestling, Aspen Ladd's going to be grinded to a loss. If she can stop the takedowns, then I think that she can get the win on the feet. That takes us to our last prelim fight, Damon Jackson versus Pat Sabatini. This is an excellent fight. These guys are both very, very good. Jackson has a 3-inch height and 1-inch reach advantages. He is on a 3-fight win streak and is 5-1 and one in his last 6. Damon Jackson, he wants to fight on the ground. He's only 3-3 three three by knockout, but 15-1 and one by submission. The guy is very good at finding the submission when he's on the bottom, when he's on top. 
anytime this fight hits the ground. This will be an outstanding jiu-jitsu battle for the fans because Pat Sabatini is game for a ground fight. He himself was on a four-fight win streak and hasn't lost in the UFC yet. With 2-1 by knockout, he's 10-0 by submission. So combined, these guys are 25-1 by submission. They love to play around with jiu-jitsu on the ground. I do think Pat Sabatini has the striking advantage, but these guys are going to take turns going for takedowns and trying to get submissions. I think they're going to try to prove who is better on the ground, and they're going to be willing to go to war in jiu-jitsu. The problem is that I think they're both so high level on the ground that neither one will be able to finish the other. I think they're both going to be exceptional at surviving in bottom position, top position if someone throws up a triangle. So I think that this fight might actually go to a decision because a lot of the time gets burned while you are going for submissions as well. So once they're in these jujitsu exchanges, you typically move very slow. You wait for an opportunity for your opponent to mess up and you go for the choke. I don't know if either of these guys will make a mistake on the ground, so I think it could ultimately stalemate on the ground, and we might see the judges' scorecards. If I had to pick a winner straight up, I am leaning Pat Sabatini, but I think the better bet here might be to take this fight to go the distance, or we'll check out an over on the rounds totals once those come out as well. That wraps up the UFC prelims. Let's take a look at that UFC main card. So I forgot to mention this earlier, the UFC prelims are actually going to start at 4 o'clock Eastern Time, and the UFC main card is going to start at 7 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. It starts us off with Anthony Hernandez versus Marc-Andre Baralt. These guys are similar in size. It's a very interesting stylistic fight. Anthony Hernandez is a strong jiu-jitsu fighter, and Marc-Andre Baralt is heavy with his striking. Anthony Hernandez is 1-1 one one by knockout with that knockout in his last loss. But he is 6-1 by submission. On the reverse side, Marc-Andre Baralt is 9-1 by knockout, also with that knockout in his last loss, and he's 1-0 by submission. Crazy enough, Baralt's on a one-fight win streak, and that win was that one submission that he has on his record. So Anthony Hernandez is on a two-fight win streak, Baralt on a one-fight win streak, the important thing to note is how Baralt got that submission win because I think it alludes to the fact that Anthony Hernandez is generally the better fighter on the ground. That submission win for Baralt was a guillotine choke that he caught while getting taken down for the second time in two and a half minutes in his last fight. Anthony Hernandez is going to go for takedowns immediately in this one. In his last two wins, he went 8 for 11 on takedowns, 5 submission attempts, and 12 minutes of control time. When Hernandez gets you down, he goes to work immediately. 12 minutes of control time, 5 submission attempts. That's a lot of action on the ground, and I think Anthony Hernandez is just a very smart fighter. He knows that he can win this fight if he can get it to the ground, and I think he'll either go for an immediate takedown, or he'll take his time, work on his timing for much of that first round so he can really shoot takedowns carefully in round 2 and get the win. Next up, we have Tanner Bozier versus Rodrigo Nascimento. While they are the same height, Nascimento has a 4.5 inch reach advantage. Tanner Bozier, he's coming off of a win, and his last three wins have all been by knockout, and his last three losses have all been by decision. Every fight that Rodrigo Nascimento has had as a pro has ended by a finish. He has a 9-1 record, 3-1 by knockout, 6-0 by submission. He's coming off of a knockout win in his last fight, and he is 2-1 in the UFC and has a Dana White Contender Series win. Tanner Bozier uses a ton of heavy leg kicks in his attack. My concern for Bozier is that I think the kicks will leave him open for takedowns. I think if Rodrigo Nascimento gets Tanner Bozier down, I'm just not sure if Bozier can get back up before either the round ends or Nascimento gets to finish. This will be an exciting fight for the fans because I think no matter what happens, this fight will end by finish. Tanner Bozier will potentially find that big knockout blow on the feet, or I think Rodrigo Nascimento finishes Bozier on the ground. With only finishing wins on his resume, I think Rodrigo Nascimento gets the win here. I think that he needs to use that reach advantage to work his jab, force Bozier to throw leg kicks from far out, or make him move into range to try to strike. 
I think if Nascimento can time those actions from Bozier appropriately, it will open up opportunities for takedowns where he can get this fight to where he really wants it to play out. Next up, we'll have Joe Pfeiffer versus Alan Amidovsky. This is our first really large size discrepancy of the night. Joe Pfeiffer is gaining four inches of height and an inch of reach. Pfeiffer is making his UFC debut after earning a knockout win on Dana White's Contender Series in July. He's 3-1 in his last four fights with all of them ending by knockout. After finding some success in Bellator, Alan Amadovsky is 0-3 in the UFC. This fight will not hit the scorecards, and I think someone is getting knocked out. Six of Joe's nine wins have been by knockout, and all eight of Alan's wins have been by knockout. For combined finishes, 20 of their 22 total fights have ended by finish. Plain and simple, someone's going to sleep. Joe Pfeiffer wins this fight by knockout, submission, or decision. While I think Alan Amadovsky can only win by knockout, he really struggles on the ground, and Joe Pfeiffer has absolutely no issues taking this fight to the ground for ground to pound. I think this fight definitely ends by finish, most likely by knockout, and I think it is most likely that Joe Pfeiffer gets his hand raised. Alan Amadovsky has not gone for a takedown in any of his three UFC fights so far. I think Joe Pfeiffer will go for a takedown within the first minute of this fight and start working Amadovsky on the ground to finish him, or at least wear him down for the finish in round two. I'm not sure this fight goes past one and a half rounds, so make sure that you do not blink. Our third to last fight of the night is going to be Andre Philly versus Bill Algio. These guys are similar in size, and Andre Touchy Philly has been in 30 professional MMA wars. He's 1-3 with no contest in his last five UFC fights. In his one win, it was a split decision win where he got blasted by Charles Jourdain and probably should have lost that fight. Bill Algio is on a two-fight win streak entering this one, and he is 3-1 in his last four. I think that this fight will likely go to a decision, but I also think that this is a favorable fight for Bill Algio. He survived a deep submission attempt by Herbert Burns in July to then come back and win the fight by knockout. Prior to that, his previous six fights had gone to the scorecards. Ignoring the 41-second knockout loss for Andre Feely his last time out and the no contest before that, nine of his previous ten fights went to the scorecards. There's a lot of decision fights between these two fighters. Andre Feely does mix up his striking and wrestling well. He's a very well-rounded MMA fighter, and he's been in the game for a long time, so he's got a lot of experience going his way. But Bill Algio can hold his own on the ground. Make no mistake, Bill Algio will also go for some wrestling. I think both fighters are very well-rounded in their games. They're decent wherever this fight takes place. And I think Bill Algio may struggle a tiny bit more with defensive wrestling compared to Andre Feely, but he does put out a strong striking volume output. I think Bill Algio can win this fight, but we will also check out fight over one and a half rounds or fight to go the distance just to see if they can entice us to make a move in that direction. I think the striking output will be too much for Andre Philly. It will force Andre into his wrestling where I think both men will have equal opportunities for takedowns. This one I think could be a war of attrition as well by the end of the three rounds. I think round three is going to go to whoever has the most energy left when we reach that point in the fights. That takes us to our co-main event, Chidi. Nijakwani versus Gregory Rodriguez. Well, this is going to be a really exciting one. Two very tall middleweights at six foot three each, but Chidi has a five inch reach advantage. Chidi's on a four fight win streak all by knockout, and Gregory Rodriguez is coming off of a win where he is three and one in the UFC with two knockouts. Chidi Nijakwani had a stint in Bellator as well before joining the UFC, where he has not lost yet in two fights and he had a Dana White Contender Series appearance win. Both of these fighters fight like heavyweights. They have extreme power for the division, and I think Chidi has the advantage on the feet with his power and variety of punches and elbow attacks, but Gregory Rodriguez has the advantage on the ground. With 2.4 takedowns averaged per fight, that's really bad news for Chidi Nijikwani. Chidi doesn't go for takedowns, like, at all. He doesn't typically try to fight there, he just wants to stand and strike. And this is another fight where I think if it does stay standing, I think Chidi can get the win. But if the fight hits the mats at all, I think Gregory Rodriguez gets the win. I think Chidi won't be able to get up, so Gregory will steal around or find the finish. Chidi is 1-3 by submission, and Gregory Rodriguez is 3-0 by submission. Both fighters have plenty of knockout wins as well. 
with a few knockout losses each, this is going to be an exciting fight. I think a finish could come at any point in this fight. I do think Gregory Rodriguez gets the win here, but he needs to be patient in round one, work on his timing, and then start getting takedowns. I think he's skilled enough to get Cheating Jaquani down and keep him there for a while, either earn the decision win or find the finish on the ground. But Chidi will be very dangerous in the first round, so Gregory Rodriguez needs to approach with caution. That takes us to our UFC main event, which I think is going to be an excellent fight. I think this is going to be a really good main event. I think it's going to be really exciting because these fighters have a ton of cardio and high volume with their striking. We have Corey Sandhagen versus Song Yadong. Corey is the number four ranked bantamweight and Song is ranked number 10. Corey Sandhagen's three inches taller and he has the same advantage in reach. His last time out, Corey did lose a split decision that I actually thought he won. And then prior to that, he lost the interim bantamweight title fight as well. So he is on a two fight losing streak, but they were against the most elite competition of the division. Song Yadong is on a three-fight winning streak with his last three wins all by knockout. While it looks like these fighters are headed in opposite directions with their career trajectories, make no mistake that Corey Sandhagen is an extremely talented fighter. My worry for Sandhagen is that he has been in some vicious wars lately, and he's been dropped a few times. It's a lot of damage that he's taken in the last few years, but this is his first fight since October of 2021. So I think that is plenty of time for him to recover, and I really like that he took that time to recover from taking all of that damage. Song Yadong has some extremely high-level power, though, for a bantamweight. He hits really hard for a guy fighting at 135. I think Yadong will have the power advantage, but Corey Sandhagen is super fast. I think he has the speed advantage in this fight. This is a fight that is absolutely a coin flip, in my opinion. Sanhagen's last two fights were five-round main events while Yadong is headlining for the first time. I think that could really make a difference here. We know that Corey Sanhagen has excellent cardio, but we haven't seen Yadong push himself to five rounds just yet because, frankly, he hasn't had the opportunity. He finishes a ton of his fights with his striking. I also think that Corey Sanhagen will have the slightest advantage in wrestling and on the ground if the fight ends up there. Here's how I see this fight going. Do understand that both of these fighters have knockout power on the feet and finishing capabilities on the ground, but if it goes the distance, I see Song Yadong winning round one, maybe a close round two where we're leaning Song Yadong still, and then Corey will start to take over and he wins any of the last three rounds, rounds three through five. You can maybe swap rounds two and three, maybe it'll be one and one heading into the third, but I think Corey Sandhagen will win rounds four and five for sure if we have them. I'm a big fan of Corey Sandhagen. So he is my pick here to win. This one is tough though because Song Yadong is a very real threat to the division. He's got a ton of power and this could really be a statement win for him if he can pull it off. The important thing to note is that while Yadong has the power advantage, Sandhagen is one of the best in this division at using a full arsenal of striking attacks and he's very fast. He's a great kicker, great puncher, he'll throw spinning elbows, he'll throw flying knees, The guy mixes up his striking so fluidly you never know what's coming, and that could throw off the timing of Song Yadong on the feet. Like I said, I think we're due for a really good main event fight here, with two guys that are going to throw a lot of striking at each other. I don't really think the fight will hit the ground unless someone gets a knockdown or maybe someone trips, so it's going to be an excellent kickboxing war where Corey Sanhagen needs to keep an eye out for the power of Song Yadong, but fight from a distance and use those kicks that he is so excellent with and his creative striking to keep Song Yadong guessing. I do think Corey Sandhagen will win, but we're going to take a look at some overs on the rounds because I think these guys are so skilled, this fight might go a little bit further than people expect for a typical Song Yadong fight. I like a lot of underdogs this week. I like a lot of the wrestlers. So some of these fighters have big holes in their game on the ground or with wrestling defense, and I think it can make some strong opportunities for these fighters who are not really large favorites or underdogs. Let's go make some money and take a look at our bets.
As always, please bet responsibly. If you have a gambling problem, call your state's hotline. Quick reminder for all of you, we have our homestyle gravy bets that I'll be highlighting. Those are my top bets of the weekend. And anytime I mention we're going back for more, those are two unit bets that I'm very confident in. Typically, we might have only one or two of those per week. Let's start off with the UFC prelims. We have Nicholas Mota versus Cameron Van Camp. We grabbed Cameron Van Camp Moneyline plus 180. Tony Gravely versus Javed Basharat. We took Tony Gravely Moneyline plus 135. Maria Agapova versus Jillian Robertson. We're going with Maria Agapova Moneyline plus 125 for a homestyle gravy bet. I just read off three underdogs in a row. So like I told you guys, I like a lot of underdogs this weekend. So this could be a chance for us to make some big money or fall flat on our faces as a bunch of the favorites get the wins. We'll see. I like the dogs. It's fun to cheer for the underdogs. Let's see if we can have a nice big weekend. Next up is Trey Ogden versus Daniel Zellhuber. I like this fight to not go the distance the most. That would be my homestyle gravy bet. That would be my going back for more bet. We don't have that line available just yet. I also like Daniel to win as a backup money line option. We are going to wait to see what comes out for fight to not go the distance. If it's anywhere under minus 300, we're going to go back for more and make that a two unit bet. Make sure you check the social medias of the podcast Saturday morning to see what we're able to lock in once we get these alternate lines. Luma Lukbonmi versus Denise Gomez. We went with Denise Gomez Moneyline plus 195. And the next couple, we're going to have to wait till Saturday. Trevin Giles versus Luis Koch. I like Luis Koch to win or fight to not go the distance. I want to see them both to kind of get an idea of how much risk I want to take. Aspen Ladd versus Sarah McMahon. I like fight to go the distance or Sarah McMahon. And Damon Jackson versus Pat Sabatini. I am leaning Pat Sabatini. But I think this is a fight where they're both so skilled on the ground that it might just go to the distance. So I want to see what that line comes out as. So like I just mentioned, make sure you tune in to Instagram or Twitter, Facebook on Saturday to see what we're able to lock in once we get the alternate lines. That takes us to the UFC main card, Anthony Hernandez versus Marc-Andre Baralt. We took Anthony Hernandez money line minus 175 for a homestyle gravy bet. Tanner Bozier versus Rodrigo Nascimento. I like fights not go the distance. I do think Rodrigo Nascimento will win, but I want to peek at what that fight to not go the distance line comes out at. Joe Pfeiffer versus Alan Amadovsky. Another one where I think Joe Pfeiffer wins. I think he wins by finish. And I think the fight to not go the distance is going to be our home style gravy bet and going back for more bet. So that's one where, again, we're going to wait for the line to come out. But if it's anything reasonable... We're going to go back for more two-unit fight to not go the distance. Andre Philly versus Bill Algio. There's a lot of things I like in this fight, so I need to see what the odds actually come out to be. Like I said, I think Bill Algio wins, but I'm leaning more towards fight over one and a half rounds or fight to go the distance. We'll take a look at those once available. Chidi Nojuquani versus Gregory Rodriguez. We took Gregory Rodriguez money line. I found him at plus 104. It's a pick on a lot of sports books. Try to grab him as the dog right now if you still can. Corey Sandhagen versus Song Yadong. Like I told you, I like Corey Sandhagen. I think he wins this fight. But I also think this fight could get pushed long. I think Corey Sandhagen knows he's got good cardio. It's a fight where he could win late as well. So I want to see what the over two and a half rounds looks like. Maybe we'll entertain over three and a half, but that will make me a little bit nervous. So we just want to see what those alternate lines look like. I will give you a fifth homestyle gravy bet from some of these lines are going to be coming out on Saturday. So stay tuned. I'll usually try to give you my top five bets with those gravy bets. I think I mentioned four to you so far. So stay tuned as we finish out our betting once the sports books can catch up. We end our betting with the homestyle perfect plate parlay. This one, I went with things that would all be available right now. So you can go ahead and grab it. We have Daniel Zellhuber money line, Anthony Hernandez money line. And Joe Pfeiffer money line to get you plus 161. We hit our home style perfect plate parlay last week. We hit it the weekend before that. It is three for four in our last four attempts. So we're going to hope to keep the ball rolling with the home style perfect plate parlays. Let's go ahead and wrap up the podcast.
As always, please bet responsibly. If you have a gambling problem, call your state's hotline. I'll be posting my verdict scorecard predictions prior to the events on social media for the podcast. Also, make sure you check out the social media sites before Saturday so you can catch some of these bets that we are waiting for alternate lines. Please go follow at the Homestyle MMA Podcast on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, and at Homestyle MMA Pod on Twitter. Check out the Homestyle MMA Podcast.podbean.com for additional information about the podcast. We're going to keep growing our content on social media as we get further into this podcasting journey. We're really getting some great interaction, guys. We're getting a lot of interaction with other media members in the MMA community on Twitter. So please feel free to get involved. Let me know any of your thoughts. Let me know if you disagree with any of my picks. We can talk about it. I'd love to hear some of your opinions. I'll be happy to interact with you on any of them. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please subscribe, like, comment, or review. Next week, we'll do a rapid recap from this card, and I'll bring some fun discussion topics to chat about. So there are no UFC fights a week from Saturday on September 24th. So I'll bring some items to discuss for what will ultimately be a shorter podcast before we dive back into previewing UFC Fight Night Dern versus Jan for October 1st in that September 29th podcast. I know we threw a lot of dates at you. Basically, all just to say, we'll keep running with our Thursday podcasts. Next week's will probably be a little bit shorter. Week after that, we'll do a preview because we have a little bit of a gap in fights in the UFC. Till next time, this was Sean Van Buren on the Homestyle MMA Podcast. Homies, have a good one.